Yeah, someone in our church um, gave me this little box and uh, to keep me supplied. They were sick of seeing snot running down down my face. That you, know, you get a sense of what you're going to get today. <laughs> uh, wonderful to be here, and um, it's just so good to come to this place. And I think that everyone here. If you don't know, you should know that you have such wonderful pastors here. And I think that you should really appreciate what you've got. It's so good to have people who, who bleed, who um, are broken of heart and uh, love the Lord, love worship. Um, not interested in the show, but they're interested in people. And that's what you've got here. It's a genuine, loving people. And so treasure them if you don't already. I'm sure you do. But treasure them and love on them because they are worthy of it, worthy of double honour. So wonderful to be here and share this time of worship with you and have my wonderful wife here and she's... Better than me in, in just about everything, so I'm going to just ask her to say hello. And Hello, church. Hello, hello. Um, I'll do the introduction. Um, I'm Priscilla. You already know Pastor John Mark. We've got our four beautiful kids there at the front. We've got our, our eldest, Melody, our daughter. We've got Rain. And then we've got Lion, our boy who's tucked under the chair there. <laughs> and we've got Iris, our baby. Um, they, they are truly a blessing, truly a blessing. Um, something that I always do this every morning. I ask the Lord. I teach um, the kids' church as well. But I always ask the Lord, Lord, what is the word for today? What is the word? And through praise and worship, my goodness, The word was so clear. This word was so clear. His love. His love was just so clear. But obedience came came into mind. Having that obedience. We walk in obedience every single day. And as faith-building people, we walk in that every day. If you know you believe and you love God and you know he's your saviour, we are always constantly walking in obedience. And it's something that the Lord, three years ago in our family, the Lord just pointed that to us, clearly pointed that to us, that we weren't walking in obedience. Um, and we've been living in obedience for three solid years now, truly, truly living in obedience. And hence our little number four, because we were, we were happy. We were done. You know, sometimes when you feel, yep, we're done, we're ready, we're done. We've got the three, yes. But three years ago, the Lord said to us, what, two and a half, said, you need to have one more. Obey, have one more. And we're like, what? (laughs) We're happy, Lord. We're comfortable. You know when you get comfortable and you're just like, yeah, you know, stretch your arms out and you're like, yeah, we're good, we're good. But the Lord challenged us two and a half years ago and go, well, Let's test that obedience. Have another baby. Number four, we didn't, we didn't have a seven-seater car. 
So we looked at everything, like, you know, the physical. You start looking at the physical things, like, you know, the car, the house. We don't have that. You know, we don't have enough for another child. But the Lord said, I'm testing you. Obey. Walk in it and see my glory. And I could testify to you, church. I could testify to you. The Lord has always 110% come through for us in every single situation. In every single situation. Our finance was a big, a big one. It was a big one. But the Lord has constantly come through. But he always reminds me. Remember when you walked in that obedience two, two and a half years ago? And you promised that you were going to stay in that obedience? I'm going to shine. And he's always, his face has always shined. Um, so I want to encourage someone here. Maybe the Lord is telling you something about doing something or walking in a, a certain way or telling someone um, the word of God or doing, just, you know, moving. Maybe the Lord is telling you something today. Take that step in obedience. You need to listen and obey and see his face shine. So I want to encourage you. The Lord is good. He is good. He will never give us the, anything that we can't handle. He will always give us something that he knows we are strong enough. And with the backing of him, he will get us through. So be blessed. Um, it's so wonderful to be out. <laughs> I say out because we, we, haven't, we were saying in the car, we've all never been to church at the same time. Uh, well, after having her, we've not been in the same car going to church at the same time. So it was really wonderful just seeing everyone, all of us going, oh, wow. Because usually Joma goes to music practice and prayers at the start of the day, um, Sunday morning, and I come with the rest. But it was just wonderful. We are truly, really, really honored to be here um, from the bottom of our heart. Thank you. And I hope you are, um, you be, you are blessed by the message as well because this is a wonderful man of God. He is a powerful man of God. And, and I really honor my husband, John Mark. Um, he obeys. He is such a, a loyal, he's a kind, a loving, but he just, mostly he just loves everything of the Lord. So be blessed by his message. And thank you, Mel, and um, your husband as well. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. So um, everything she said. Um, <laughs> We go have coffee now and <laughs> relax. All right. Oh, we'll get around to this message, but um, I tell you, I'm, I would rather share with you my mistakes and share with you my heart because we, Priscilla and I, um, we, we had massive debts, you know, just we thought we were going to be going under and to the Lord and all the story that Priscilla told you. And I tell you, it's just so wonderful to trust God, yeah. even when you are so desperate and you can't get your way through, you trust God. Yeah. And all throughout this message, I hope to share with you my struggles and my faith and, and hopefully encourage you in this too. But let's turn in your Bibles, Ecclesiastes and chapter 10 and verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 4. 
I'm going to start reading it. Let's see, the clock is counting down on me, so. Um, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, it says, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offences. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offences. Uh, title of today's message is do not leave your post uh, to stay in your place good morning <laughs> uh, do not leave your post stay in your place um, here's what Ecclesiastes it's a wisdom book it's bringing us wisdom and I tell you if you just read that and you go away and you say I'm going to obey what that says Many of us are going to leave angry and upset and hurt and just sticking to this. This is what it says, so I'm going to do it. I'm not going to leave my post, even though someone's just yelled at me. Uh, but you'll find in the book of wisdom that wisdom sits just below the surface, that the actual behaviour is a fruit of what is really going on or what the root is that what God wants to get at. And I could tell you... Till I'm blue in the face here today to stay, to remain where you are and to keep up your post and keep up in prayer, keep up in the word of God, keep up in all those things. And many of us do, but I tell you the truth, that many of us sit in church and we're doing the action, we're staying at our post and yet on the inside we're far from God. On the inside we're just broken and bleeding and just on the brink of destruction and leaving this whole thing. A couple of weeks ago I was talking with some ministers at Ballarat Ministers Network, Tim Clark, who knows Tim Clark. He was there and Tim Clark said that there are more ministers outside of ministry than there are ministers inside ministry. That is to say there are more ministers that started out running their ministry and doing their work but have now left the ministry and he said many of them have even left the faith. Many of them have walked away from God altogether. And so this isn't so much a message about congregation, but this is a message for all of us, is that we're all tempted to leave our posts. We're all tempted to abandon the things that we truly should treasure and truly should hold on to. Um, in that same meeting... Um, there was a, another minister there who's taken over from a church not so long ago and just a few months ago here in Ballarat, a minister ministering in Ballarat uh, committed suicide. And um, I tell you, the, I mean, can you imagine the brokenness? Can you imagine actually what went on in his heart in the whole lead up to that? Can you imagine the brokenness? Can you imagine the hurts and all the disappointments and all? And who does he talk to? But he's, he's trying to obey the scripture. He's trying to stay at his post. He's not allowed to leave. But I tell you, the book of wisdom, the Ecclesiastes, is trying to get at something a bit below the surface. It's trying to get at something else. There's a reason why we leave our posts. There's a reason why we, why we feel discontented and want to get away from it all. And I want to try and press into that a little bit today. The book of Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book, as I said, probably written by Solomon, and I don't think anyone really has any great contentions over that. 
if you do, well, you're smarter than me. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, there's a wisdom book written there for us and he writes in Ecclesiastes, he looks at all the workings of mankind and he looks at everything under the sun. This is what's in Ecclesiastes. You'll find this phrase often. He looks at everything under the sun, all the workings of man. He looks at his own heart, his own journey, all the things he's got. He's looking at his money. He's looking at the things that he's experienced. And he comes up with this phrase that you so popular in Ecclesiastes, vanity. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Everything is empty. Everything is dry. Everything is, is, it has no value in it. He says, I'm looking at people and they've got all the money in the world and yet they're broken on the inside. They're empty and they're dry on the inside. I'm looking at people, they've got all this fun and success and they're going out to parties and they're getting themselves high and drunk but they come home to the same old stuff and they're dry and they're empty and they're lonely and they're broken. He says, everything is vanity. Said people going out and spending nights with different people in, under the sheets and they're having a great time at the time, but they come home to the same old loneliness. Vanity. He says, I've experienced it. I know what I'm talking about. I look at my life and everything I have. It's all empty. You get to the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, this is the end of the matter. He says, I want to tell you what I've learned. <laughs> the thing that matters the most it's to fear God and to keep his commandments. Um, the shorthand of this is God, but God. See, you can't have the fear of God without God. You can't keep the commandments of God without God. As soon as you start to get God in view, the fear of God soon follows. The commandments that he tells you to do soon follow. The main thing that I need in my life and the post that I need to stay at is the presence of God. I need to keep the presence of God alive in my life. It needs to become the most valuable thing, the most weighty thing in my life is the presence of God. One thing the psalmist says, one thing I've desired, one thing I ask of God and I seek his face and I be found in his tabernacle. One thing. Is that your one thing? Or have you got many things? There is one thing that makes us a church, and it is the presence of God. We can go on having services for till kingdom come, but church stops the day the presence of God stops turning up here. You need the presence of Christ. And without the presence of God, it's all a waste, and we're wasting away. You've got better things to do if the presence of Christ is not in your life. You need his presence. You need a hunger for his presence. And there are so many sitting in our congregations. And I, I tell you, I've sat there. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us. I've sat there as a minister. I've sat in the pew. And I know that something's missing in my heart. I know that something's died on the inside. The presence of God is no longer running in through my veins. I know that all week I've been distracted with many other things. I'll tell you, there's something about the presence of God that is, I've noticed my observation and not a judgment, but I've noticed something about the presence of God. When it's spoken about, there's one thing that is often not spoken about, and that's what I want to lean into today, 
is that his presence is holy. I tell you, one of the things people love talking about the presence of God, but they don't love the cost of the presence of God. See, when you get the presence of God, then a holy fear ought to fill your heart. A holy fear. God is holy. I was... You know, I've left these notes a long time ago, so, so I don't, they're not going to help me right now. But, but I, um, I thought I'd look down anyway. You know, if you were to ask me to write a song, <clears throat> completely hypothetical, by the way, because I'm not, not going to write anyone a song, but if you said, write me a worship song, I mean, what, what song do you want to sing? I'll, I'll be... You know, one of those old songs, I could sing of his love forever. You know, that's, that's me. I'm grace, mercy. But the heavenly creatures, I'll tell you the song they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I tell you, I bring this up because you are a heavenly creature. That is your position right now. Ephesians 2 tells us, that you have been raised together with Christ. You were seated together with him now in the heavenly places. That is your position today, right now. Not, that is a past tense. If you are a believer, you are. You have been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are a heavenly creature. And the heavenly creatures sing holy, holy, holy. It's Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, if you want to have a look at those. But this is what they're consumed with. It's the holiness of God. Could I ask you if you're consumed with that? I'm just preparing my messages this week and going over it. And I'm like, man, I spend so much time looking at, talking about, worshipping and and all... whole lot of other things and and they're all good they're all important i should worship his love and his mercy and i should enjoy all of those things as well Um, but you just get nowhere without the holiness that is the main thing i'm going to preach to you holiness for a while i'm going to preach to you about how you need to leave your sins is that heavy I used to struggle with preaching messages like this. I used to think, because I look in the mirror and, you know, you're just confronted. And, um, but anyway, I found this freedom in God because I realised that this is the thing that we're all struggling with every week. We're fighting off sin and temptation, the flesh, the devil, you know, the world constantly every week and if I don't preach about it we just go away feeling guilty ashamed feel like oh there's no help in this I can't get through it you know I just got to bury it down and you've got all these secret sins that you're keeping under control but you're keeping the post you stay turning up at church you're doing the songs you're doing the the ushering you're doing whatever other jobs you have to do in church you're doing all those things and yet on the inside of your heart you know you're a sinner 
You feel condemned because just last night you were on porn looking up on your internet. Just last night you're scrolling through a whole lot of stuff that you shouldn't be looking at. And you're saying to God on Sunday, God, I worship you. Is that heavy? I tell you, we need a, a good message on sin from time to time. Bring us to God and bring us to grace. I tell you, there's help. C.S. Lewis tells this story, one of his books, I don't know which one, but he tells a story about a pastor that he knew where this pastor went out to, um, had a woman in his church who had great needs and she was in financial need and so one day this pastor decided we'll get everyone in the church and we'll take up an offering and take it around to her and bless her, help her out. Anyway, they did that. They took up the offering and they, he thought, um, he was on the road, he thought, oh, I know where she is. I'll just duck in and knock on her door and hand her over this offering. He does that. He knocks on the door and there's no answer. He <laughs> knocks some more and still no answer. In the end, he decides, oh, I'll just go home. I'll give it to her at church when we see her again. Um, time comes around. She walks in through the front doors at church. And he sees her and he goes, oh, I'm going to make up her name. (laughs) Sister Mary. (laughs) There's no Marys here. (laughs) Uh, Sister Mary, um, we've taken up a wonderful offering for you to um, be blessed by. We heard that you're going through some hard times. and, And I came around by your house the other day to drop it off. I knocked on the door. She goes, oh, what, what, what hour did you come by? <laughs> She's from, I don't know where. Um, probably a few different places. And, um, <laughs> and he told her what time he came by. And, and she goes, oh, yeah, I did hear you're, you're knocking at the door. A little bit Irish. And um, <laughs> she... Um, but I thought you were here to collect the rent, she says. And so I didn't come to the door. And C.S. Lewis puts, points out, I am not here to collect the rent. And God is not here to collect the rent. But he's here to give you something. And God is not angry with you today, friend, if you've fallen in many ways. God is not upset with you. He's not here to come and bash you over the head. He's here to call you back. He's, trying, he's saying, come back to me. Come back to the presence. I don't want to lose you. Come back to your post. And so, dear friends, with that in mind, that is the heart of what I'm saying today. We have been raised with Christ, seated with Christ. No one gets into that high place. Remember we said, we have been raised together with Christ and seated together with him in the heavenly places. No one gets there by themselves. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, he says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to idols, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord. Now, if we run through that list of what he said was going to give someone ascension into the high places. You know, this holy hill that he's talking about is the same seat 
that we have in the heavenly places in Christ. If we run through that list of what he's saying, you're going to feel really bad for a moment. Because he says, he has clean hands. That's how you get to the hill of God. Clean hands. <laughs> now, is all your deeds clean? <laughs> Pure heart. Oh, that search is a bit even deeper. Not lifted up your soul to idols. And that's a take some translation, but we, we, many of us carry an idol with us in our pocket. You ask your kids, where does mum and dad spend their time? It's probably on your phone, probably on the internet, probably... And I could ask you, there's very easy ways to know where, you're, where your idols are, and we all have them. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? Where you measure up your time in your week. And then compare that against your time of worship, your time of prayer, your time of reading the Bible. You know, which one do you treasure more? And, and friends, if you've got an iPhone, it will give you a report usually every week. It tells you how many hours you spent on your phone. And so you don't have to go very far. Where do you spend your money? What, what's, what's, where do you spend all your money? Where does all your extra funds go to? Is it, is it caught up in things that God's got you involved in or is it caught up in other things, other luxuries? Now, you can, of course, you can spend your money wherever you want. You can spend your time wherever you want. That's not the point I'm saying. These are pointers to where you're at, the things that really matter in your life. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where's your heart? And um, you know, I could point out other things too, but as I said, I'm just drifting off notes here and I... Got to get to these other things, but you got to come, and this is the point, some of the points of my message is that you got to come to this place where you're willing to fight. You're willing to fight for the things that matter. No one can ascend the hill of the, God, of the Lord on their own. None of us have clean hands. None of us have a pure heart. None of us have not lifted up our soul to idols. None of us have not sworn deceitfully. None of us have not told a lie. No, all of us have fallen in all of those categories. So what hope is there? Well, the hope is in God, is in Christ. Is that what David is talking about is Christ ascended that hill. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Only Jesus. And because he ascended the hill, we have been raised together with Christ and seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. But I tell you, that heavenly place is a holy place. So holy. Um, uh, flee youthful lusts. Um, Jude, book of Jude, should go there. Just I like it because it's a little bit in your face. <laughs> Talks about apostates, people who have left their place and leaving the faith. Jude, it's only one chapter, just before Revelation, I think. And in verse 5, you'll find it gives us some warnings. It tells us some, of some past events. And he says, these are for your education. I want you to look at these. But I want you to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Can you imagine this? 
God saves a whole nation, Israel, out of Egypt, you know, the opening of the water and all of the provisions that happened there, and then it tells us, but afterwards he destroyed the whole lot of them. Afterwards, none of them, apart from the couple that were faithful, entered into the promised land. And Psalm 95 tells us, I swore in my wrath, or if you like the New Testament copy of it, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, that in Hebrews 3 and 4, it says that he did, they would not enter into his rest because of their unbelief. So there is possible for a whole lot of people to be wonderfully saved and sitting in church today. And yet, I don't, I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but really losing a sense of God, really losing any sense of his power, really losing any sense of his rest. You know, there could be people sitting in churches today that are so full of unrest. They're believers, for sure. We, we th- we, they made the confession. They believe in God. And yet full of unrest, not really settled in the things of God at all. Always finding issue, always finding contention, always finding I don't really agree with this part, and, but I like this other part of scripture. I, I don't really, I mean, I don't really divide up my Bible so much in Old Testament and New Testament so much because I think everyone in the New Testament preached from the Old Testament and... To me, it just says one story, and it's a story of Christ. And I tend to see Christ everywhere. But there's some people that take offence at Old Testament passages. And, but I tell you, there's much scarier ones in the New Testament. And uh, <laughs> verse 6 says, And there's angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting change under darkness of judgment the great day. Angels left their place, and God says, I bound them up in chains. Are you greater than an angel? Sodom and Gomorrah, it tells us, they are an example for us. Likewise, let's go down to verse 12 and 13, because it gives us these past examples and says some other things that are important, but um, you can read in another time. But then he starts to point out what it's like. He gives examples. It gives a description of the emptiness. Um, It says that the second part of verse 12, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit. Clouds without rain, trees without fruit. Uh, That's the description of someone who loses or misplaces the Holy Spirit from their life. And then in verse 16, he sharpens up his pencil and he says, this is, I'll tell you exactly what it's like. I'm going to show you exactly what happens. He says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, Remember the words that were spoken before by the apostles. He sharpens up his pencil and he says, this is exactly what it looks like. They'd become grumblers and complainers and they're following after their own lusts. 
of their flesh and they got all the talk. I've been around church, I've been in church my whole life. My dad was a minister, I've been in church my whole life. We barely miss a Sunday. When I was a kid growing up, even when we went on holidays, we found whatever local church was there and we went to church. And we would go to attend middle of the week meetings and even now, my kids grow up very much the same. We, we attend church constantly. And so forgive me a little bit if I am tired of playing games with God. Forgive me a little bit if I just cut to the chase because I tell you that God is not deceived. That God sees... I mean, you could fool me and, and I... You know, I'm not trying to point out anyone's sin. I don't know you, and I have nothing to gain by preaching to you about sin today. There's no benefit. It's be- better if I find a message on grace or something lovely, and then I walk away and, and you think that I'm a nice guy. But no, I'd rather you think that I'm a bit harsh. I'd rather you say when I leave that that guy is very legalistic in Old Testament and I don't really like him. I'd rather you say that and something of God's holiness strikes at your heart. You say, I cannot go on grumbling. I cannot go on complaining. I cannot go on living in my own lusts. I tell you, there's men sitting in churches today, and I, and I used to say that a lot, it's men, but I know that for a fact that it is women also have so much lust going on within them because it is just all over the place. You just find there's so much material out there. I tell you, once you start to fight a fight of holiness in your life, you discover it is everywhere. I have been... I tell you, it is a fight. This isn't a walk in a park. This isn't theology. Your theology will go to hell with you if you continue on in that way. Is that harsh? (laughs) You'll fix it up later anyway. (laughs) Theology will go to hell with you. This stuff, this is your walk. God is saying, I want you. I want your whole heart. I want your whole life. And if you're indulging yourself in all the ways of this world, and then you come into the house of God and pretend like it doesn't happen, I tell you, you're a fraud and you're empty. You're drying up. You're a tree without fruit. You're a a cloud without rain. We're a church that cannot help ourselves. How dare we say we can help the world? What is seated in heavenly places? Someone will say to me, well, that's a place of rulership. That's a place of Christ. He's seated in his ascension and his rule. And what does that mean to you today? What, what practical difference does that make to your life to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ, ruling and reigning with him? What practical difference does it make? Well, I'll tell you what practical difference it makes. If you cannot rule your own body, if you cannot rule your own mind, if you cannot rule your own words, then all of that is all fake. You're just going through the motions and just reading the scripture and you're just getting a high off the emotion of it. But the reality is, is that you are not seated with him. Well, in a practical sense. In all practicalities, you've left your place. You've left your post. 
you know, I just realised that I didn't even really talk about this passage in Ecclesiastes that I started with. Because in Ecclesiastes, it says there is the spirit of a ruler that rises up. Thank you. Rule, if the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. This is a word picture for us, and it's telling us about a person who has a very high position. They've got a post, it's called. And they've got a position in whatever the organisation is, but they've got a position that makes, can, they can make changes and they can accomplish great things from their post. It's very particular, this word post. It's a, it's a post, it's a position, it's a calling, it's a, it's a domain in which they are meant to administer their, their uh, duties. Um, but then there's someone over them who rises up. It says the spirit of them. They have this great... They come one day and they're just in a foul mood. Has anyone got a boss like that? Anyone got a parent like that? <laughs> My kids just <laughs> stay quiet for a moment. <laughs> you know, you just turn up in a foul mood and, and he's just blasted them, just given them a great old serving. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, even when this happens, do not leave your post. And you say, well, well, the, the, the implication is that the reason why he writes this is because he's saying you would be very tempted to leave your post and you're very justified in leaving your post. And if you weigh it all up, you can convince everyone that it's time to leave my post. But what he's saying is that do not leave what matters for the things that matter less. Do not leave what's weighty for the things that are empty. Do not leave your future for a moment. Um, yes, your feelings are hurt, and yes, you should talk about that, and yes, you should sort that out and go through all of that emotional stuff that you need to do. But he's saying, at the end of the day, you've got to find strength within yourself to stay at your post, because that's the most important thing that you need to keep. How, am I talking to anyone in church today? You've been a bit offended. You've heard something that was someone yelled at you. <laughs> the current preacher yelled at you a little bit and you feel like, I'm just going to get away from this post. Um, but I tell you, there's something much more weighty, much more important. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is a Holy Spirit. Okay, you're fighting it. You've got to fight it, and there is a fight, and this fight is a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual battle, and I, I just looking out at faces, and I feel like you know the scriptures. I feel like you know Ephesians. It tells us to put on the armor of God and do all of that, and they, the, you wage a war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Your warfare is all that sort of stuff. So keep all of your former teaching in mind here, and I'm just gonna talk off the top of that but you know this is a spiritual battle and you have to fight it in the spirit um this is not not so much a theo theology but it's just my experience has been this is that you cannot fight it without the spirit of god you need see inside of this parable inside of this wise teaching is the answer itself the only way I'm going to fight against, the only way I'm going to have any 
form of changing this ruler, of changing this work environment, is if I stay at my post. The only way that I'm going to have any chance of getting through this battle is if I remain there. And so I've got this spiritual battle going on. I need to stay in the spirit, Galatians says. Who has bewitched you? Who has taken you away? Who, th- who told you that you've become now in the spirit? You're going to now fulfill it in the flesh. You cannot. You can only fight spirit with spirit. And so what is the spirit doing in your life? Well, I tell you these two things, these two hints, that the spirit must take over. The Spirit must be in charge. The Spirit of God must be in the lead. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. He must lead the way. He must go before you. What is the Spirit of God saying? I tell you, there is much. There are people that know much more about what's happening in the world, in politics, in this current coronavirus or whatever it is and and all of this stuff on tv they know what's happening at the kardashians house more than they know what's happening at the spirit of god you got to spend time with the spirit you got to learn his voice you got to learn his leading and when he leads you you've got to follow it i'll tell you someone who is spiritual they follow the leader they follow the spirit they didn't arrive there on their own. They didn't arrive there because they were particularly disciplined. They arrived there because they surrendered to someone who was greater. They arrived there because they gave over the, their flesh to the Spirit of God. Oh, I'm going to tell you that I struggled with lust. And I tell you that every person here who has ever struggled with it, I tell you, it is a constant fight, a constant battle for your heart. But I tell you right now that you can only fight it through the Spirit of God. And every time I've had any victory, and I can tell you that I've walked in victory. Can I say that? That I've walked in victory. There is a way out of it. But you can only get through by the Spirit of God. You've got to accept His leading. I tell you, there's things that come up on TV. It may be a right for some people. It may be a right for you strong ones. But for me, I turn my head from it. I say, I will not even look because I have a spirit within me. I treasure the Spirit's leading more than I treasure any other thing. When I'm driving down the road and there's particularly, you know, people that look very attractive on the side of the road, I turn my head. I follow the leading of the Spirit. That is the fight. That is the battle. And some people don't even know what you're talking about on this stuff. They, they think that, I don't know how some people live. I don't know how they get through it. Much more mature than me, much stronger than me perhaps. I don't know. But I know for a fact that in my life, I've got to make changes. I've got to say, I will not go down that way. And I follow him. I tell you, when you know the Spirit of God, you feel his absence. The psalmist, when he committed those sins, David, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, that became the most precious thing to him. He said, yes, I've done all these things, but don't take your spirit. And when you start to live like that with the Spirit of God, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they're both contrary to one another. Second thing about the spirit of God. And one of the things that are more heartwarming is this. Is that he is inside of you reminding you of who you are. He's inside of you reminding you that you are a child of God. He's inside of you crying out, Abba, Father. And every time you fail, there's the Spirit of God saying, Daddy, coming back. And every time you're in the middle of a battle, you have a Father. You begin to cry out to the Father through the Spirit. Remembering your place is a great defense. You cannot go down into sin when you are standing in your place. When you are in prayer, (laughs) you can't go on in your sins. I want to just hone in on particularly sexual sins. Not for any reason of my own necessarily, but because it's one of the ones that rarely are talked about. But I know that people struggle with it probably more than any other thing in their life. Desires of the flesh. And I want to speak warmly to you today is that you have a father in heaven. And if you have fallen among your posts, if you have fallen away, do not despair today. I've not come to collect the rent. But I'm here to tell you that you have a loving father who wants you back home. Do not leave the post of his mercies today. Do not leave the post of his grace. Run back to it today. Don't despair. Don't hide it. If you have a real ongoing problem with it, do not hide it. Do not bury it away. Do not say it just doesn't exist. Don't get high on the songs that we sing. Don't get high on the little bit of a spiritual experience you have on a Sunday. Get real with yourself. Get real with God and get into the spirit and find someone to help you. Find someone to be accountable with. Find a community that you can share yourself stuff with. I wonder what was going through this mind of a minister when he committed suicide. I wonder what the struggles that he felt deep within his heart. No one to talk to. No one to share it with. If you're going to be a spiritual house, you're going to be a people who accept people and make it available and say that, look, we all stumble in many ways. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. I confess to you that I've had victories and I tell you, but I tell you this one thing, I know that I'm only one failure away. That today I could walk out this door, preach, I think a really great message to you today. <laughs> really get out, get out the doors and then go on my life. I've taught you the rules, but I too need to run the race. And every, every one of us need to take heed lest we fall. Grace. Someone says, what about grace? Well, um, Romans tells us, because we've found grace, should we then just continue, continue in our sins? And the answer comes, certainly not. If you have a really high view of holiness, out of necessity, you need a really high view of grace. (laughs) The two run hand in hand together. 
Um, because once you start to elevate holiness, if you start to say this stuff is not acceptable, lying, cheating, I mean, the lists are in the Bible, and all the sexual stuff that I've just briefly mentioned today, you start to list them out and say, these things are not acceptable. I don't want to come close to these things in my life. You know, you start to put a really high bar for holiness. Guess what? You have a really high dependence on grace. You have a really high dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You have a really high dependence on God. And I tell you, in places where all it is is grace, all it is 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 God and and they only just talk about all the fluffy stuff and all that good stuff we need to talk about. I tell you what, holiness becomes less and less and their view of God actually becomes less and less. Their need of God actually becomes less and less because they say, I can do it on my own. I can get, I can do church on my own. I don't need to seek God. I don't need to be on my knees, you know, pouring my eyes out and heart out before God to get a word. I don't, I don't have to live this sacrificial life anymore you know god just accepts me and he just you know welcomes me through the door now that's i tell you once holiness diminishes your reality of grace your reality of mercy everything else that you think is all the most important thing all crumbles and falls at the same time but you start to say i believe in this high i have a high view of god i have a high view of his holy presence and I don't want anything to disrupt that high view of his presence, you will soon find that you cannot get there on your own. You will soon find that the temptations and the failings will soon catch up to you, and you would be struggling in the flesh day after day, and you realise, I can't reach the mountain. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And then you fall on your face before God, and you say, God, if you don't do it in me, I have no chance. And there there you are at grace. There you are at the foot of the cross and you have discovered the true meaning of grace. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Well, I've got to finish this message somewhere and I haven't said any of this stuff. Um, (laughs) But this... I do want to come to Jesus because we have to finish looking at him. And there is this passage in Matthew and our dear friend, what was he, this guy that did communion, what's your name? Rob. He, he touched on this as well. But Jesus is at the garden of Gethsemane. And you remember that the first people left their post. You know, Adam and Eve left their post in the garden. But Jesus comes to this garden of Gethsemane, the last Adam, and he holds his post. And Jesus says in that prayer with these disciples, he says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And you cannot explain that sorrow and that grief of heart in human terms. This wasn't just him saying, well, you know, I'm going to be dying soon and I'm really sad about that. No, because many martyrs have gone to their burning stakes with joy and singing and and so no there was something more about this there was a spiritual attack there is a spiritual fight that he's fighting here in the garden and he's got all the sorrows of mankind and all of our failures and all of our mourning over sin and all of our death that we've brought in on our, and it's all laid upon him and he's taking it all and he's saying this is so heavy 
This is so burdensome. All this sin, all of this disappointment, all of these hurts, all of this brokenness, it's all upon me. Every tear that's cried since Adam is upon me right now. And I'm exceedingly sorrowful. My soul could die right now. But he says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. He held his post. He stayed his course. He remained. Jesus fulfills this little passage in Ecclesiastes like no one else. In Isaiah 53, I think I've got that scripture. If you can find that for me, Isaiah 53, 4-7. Anyway, I'll read it. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray all of us, he said, left our posts. And each one turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus received that ruler, God the Father, came and laid out the wrath of God against all sin upon Jesus Christ. But he did not leave his post. And it tells us that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And that's the end of Ecclesiastes, which I didn't even touch on today. Apologies. But he just, he kept, a, he kept his mouth shut. Man, I could talk to you for a while upon the applications of that, learning to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but I will add this, that every spiritual journey leads to love. That every spiritual person always finds themselves into better relationships with people. Everyone who has ever been spiritual has been a person of great love and great compassion. And there is nothing, sometimes the greatest act of love is to close your mouth. Sometimes the greatest act of love is to have a quiet return. And some young people, I've got some young adults, I'm not going to point the finger at anyone today, but there's some young adults... Your parents don't always get it right. You know it. But, dear friends, keep, learn how to give a quiet response. Learn how to not blast them back. Learn how to give a wise answer. Is that good? What about you who have a position of rulership in your house? What about me? <clears throat> what about you? What about you parents? What about you who own your own business, who are in leadership in your business, or wherever you are? What about you? Do you have moments where you just get angry and you just blast everyone around you? Or do you find a way to be able to have a quiet answer and a quiet response? <sighs> because we find in Jesus, we find in God, a God who should be angry with us. A God who should blast us.
A God who should just tear us to shreds. The filth. Filth of our ways. But he doesn't. He laid it upon Jesus Christ. And he calls you home. And I don't want an altar call today at all because I don't know. Just don't think that can save you. Just think it's just Jesus. Just the Spirit of God. It's the only thing that can save us. Only thing that can make us holy. This whole thing turned into a talk about holiness. But I want you to stand with me. I don't know if, Andrew, what you normally do here, but... (laughs) I just... I don't know how to end this at all. Except to say that you are welcome. You're welcome home. And today, if you have sins, if you've been convicted by my message today, hear that it's not an angry God trying to bash you over the head today, but it's a God of love that's saying, come on, come back. And friends, in this church, I don't know any one of you, and I haven't ever been in one of your meetings before, I don't think either. Wonderful to be here, but I tell you, friends, it all goes away the moment the presence of God goes from here. You guys got to treasure that. I'd say to my people back home, I'm I'm a lot harsher to them, by the way, than I am to you. (laughs) I say to them, you're coming in here late. You know, you think that you can just waltz in whenever you want to come in. There's the presence of God here. It's the most important thing is the presence of God and you, you've got things, other things that you've got to get to and do. You get to work on time, you get to school on time, get to church on time. On. Well, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> I'm not going to get welcome back here. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of other, I mean, the, the point is it's not about getting to church on time, it's about the heart. And what does that say? What does that say about the presence of God? What does that place say about the value I have of the presence of God in my life? But I understand the agony. I understand the, the disheart. I understand the brokenness. I get it. I do get it. I get how you can feel so dry. I get that. I know it. And I know that it just feels more comfortable to stay behind and just I, I understand it. But I just know that there is a spirit of God here today. He's just saying, come back. Hold on. Don't leave your post. Hold on to me. So let me just pray for you. I want to raise your hands to our Holy Father. Holy Father, we are just humble people here today, just under the weight of your holy presence, oh God. Each and every one of us, oh God, just feeling your pinch today. And, and we're just saying, God, we need you to take over us, oh God. We desire to live holy lives, oh God. We desire to live lives just steadfast and set upon you and running hard after you, oh God. Let it not be talk. Let it not be just our talk. Let it not be just our confession. Let it not be just our creed but let it be our hearts. 
No one's getting saved in a church that hardly believe it themselves. No one's getting changed in a church that aren't being changed themselves. No one's going to know this holy God in a church that does not value the holiness of God. And if your heart is broken today, I pray to a degree that there is some measure of brokenness. Then I know you're living. I know you're in Christ today. If your heart is a little broken today, And if it is broken, would you cry out to God? Would you say, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I long for you. God, I'm reaching out for you. I can see in this congregation you're used to perhaps just the pastors saying these words over you. But today I say, it is you and God that is not the pastor. He's not going to pray you into heaven. That if you need God, you need to call out to God for yourself. Don't wait for the person next to you to start shouting out in songs and coming into worship time and you just wait for someone else to start getting into it. Get into it yourself. It is about you and God. Do you have the presence of God burning in your heart today? Holy God, here we are. And Father, to a degree we don't even know what to say. I, I hear that. I hear that prayer. You don't even know what to say. Like Hannah, (laughs) don't even know what to say. But Father, you hear every cry today. And you hear every heart. And Father, I just thank you for your sweet grace, your sweet anointing, your sweet Holy Spirit to just go in on every heart and every life and every marriage and every, every young person and just do a work of restoration. And, and um, you know, if you're just, if there's just marriages here that just need, you're just feeling like you maybe you've even checked out of that, you're just feeling a dryness in that, pray, God, that you would bring restoration, bring healing, bring hope, oh God. Do a work amongst these young people here today, Father. Do a work of your holiness. So much temptation, so much drawing young people aside. But Father, we need your holy touch, O God. We need your holy presence. Breathe your spirit upon these young ones, O God. Upon these older ones that are here, these senior people, O God. Maybe you're feeling like your time has passed. Maybe you're feeling like you're just you're in the sunset years or whatever. But today I say there is no sunset years in the Holy Spirit. That you need a fresh awakening. You need a fresh outpouring of spirit life in you. Some people just go in so dry, so barren. You haven't picked up your Bible. You haven't prayed in a long time. You... And God's just calling you back. Holy God. Holy God. Hey, Andrew, do you want (laughs) to... 
make things nice for me. <laughs> <laughs> they need to make things nice. <laughs>